it's an old story. At first, they seem ridiculous. The big egos, the bad ideas. Some of them seem almost comical. Not here, the people say. Yet men like these find their following because they know how to use hate and fear. Fear of foreigners, immigrants, and minorities. Of Jews, Muslims, Christians. They dismiss the experts, demonize the press, promise they alone can deliver better lives and brighter futures. If they could only be rid of the obstacles to that power. Eventually, enough people buy it. They hand the fate of their nations over to madmen. But then suddenly, it's not so funny. The military deploys on the streets to protect the leader. Names appear on enemy lists. Opposition voices are silenced or imprisoned. The leader promises the right bloodlines will survive, and the wrong ones will be purged. It's an old story, one that could never happen here. The very idea is ridiculous, almost comical. There's no one dividing us, no one telling us who to hate, who to put in cages, no one demonizing the press, dismissing the experts, no would-be savior claiming he alone can fix our problems if only the obstacles to power are removed. No one singling out the other, telling us what should become of them. No enemy lists, no threats of imprisonment. No one lashing out when their ego is threatened, demanding absolute loyalty and using the military to control the streets. No, it can't happen. Not here. We know too well how it begins. And it's always been up to us how it ends. My presentation is going to have a, a little bit of a different take. I'm focusing on understanding the conservative perspective on abortion. I want to talk about the role of religious beliefs and values in politics and provide some guidance for what we can do. So take the biblical perspective or the supernatural perspective, the religious perspective, and we go to um, and we see that, like Dom said, God breathed breath into the clay Adam. And that word breath also means spirit. So God breathed spirit. Life is animated by spirit. The prophet Jeremiah said, before I, having God speaking to him, God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. The prophet Isaiah said the Lord had called him from the womb, from the body of his mother. He named my name. And the name in the ancient world carries the essence of the individual. That was the belief. And we'll see that more. The Apostle Paul, as I said, who wrote many of the books of the New Testament, 
said that he, God had set him apart before he was born. The Psalms, which is usually attributed to King David, says, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Even Christians have some sense of being predestined or, or some prior existence. We said, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And this is from Ephesians. Ephesians is a very spiritual book, but also a very political book that talks about the powers and authorities. The powers and authorities include the empire and the rulers. And so there was no separation of religion and politics in the ancient world. Every, it was a theology, theocracies, or everything was just theocracy. The kings and emperors were gods and sons of gods. Priests were politicians. And that's just how it was in the, in the ancient world. So the same book says God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And then he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And Paul writes to the Romans, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that they may be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he justified. And those who he justified, he glorified. And, of course, Jesus, right, was foreknown before the foundation of the world and was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, says the author of 1 Peter. And then there's John 3.16, the verse that they always hold up at football games and other places, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I want to add verse 17 to that, because it's important, I think, to understanding that passage and is often overlooked. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. The angel Gabriel, when he learned that, when Joseph learned that Mary, his fiance, was pregnant, had planned to dismiss Mary um, quietly, because to be adultery was a death penalty offense. So, a woman being found pregnant, not by her husband, could face death by stoning. So Joseph didn't want to put Mary through that or hold her up to ridicule. So he planned to quietly dismiss her. But the angel Gabriel came to him and said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. 
Now, the Gospel of Luke is takes this problem differently, the problem of being pregnant without having outside of wedlock or outside, not by your husband. And what he does is he has Mary make haste to take this long trip to see a distant relative in Judea. It's a, Mary is about 13 years old, and this trip would have to have been like 100 miles or something around Samaria. And so, so she makes haste to see this distant relative, Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is the wife of a high priest named Zechariah. And all we know, what we know about them is that both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments of, let's see, of the Lord. So what does that mean? That says basically that if Mary goes before Zechariah, it's lights out for her. In other words, they obey the law and the law called for death by stoning. But the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah goes into the Holy of Holies, the area of the temple where only priests are allowed. He's assigned that day. And it's a vision. He sees the angel Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel tells him, your wife will bear a son and you will name him John. This is John the Baptist that is being predestined. And Zechariah says, how do I know this to be true? I mean, I'm an old man and my wife is old. And the angel Gabriel gets upset, and, and this priest should have known. You're talking to the angel Gabriel in the Holy of Holies, you know. You should know. And so he says, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in your time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur, which means Mary saved, right? When when, Mary, when the angel comes to Mary, she says the, simply the same thing. How do I know? Because I'm a virgin. But, um, but when she arrives to Mary, and Mary hears, or to Elizabeth, and Mary hears, and Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, the child in Elizabeth's room leapt in her room, it is said. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you! among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken her by the Lord. And that's when Mary breaks into her famous song, the Magnificat, in which she says things like, God brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly, has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and the descendants. And, and the, Abraham's God has promised Abraham's seed would make a great nation. And so there's a lot of this imagery of pronatalism in the Bible. They, they, Israel was surrounded by enemies and needed to grow to become a strong nation.
So, Richard, I think I'm losing you here. So, so I mean, I, I, I really did want to hear or understand the the pro-choice uh, position in uh, evangelicalism or Catholicism or any other uh, biblical basis, but um, it, I'm, you're losing me uh, in terms of understanding the direct connection between um, the uh, pro-choice position and the Bible. I, I feel like you're getting into a lot of things that um, are hard to follow for someone who is trying to talk to uh, Christians about uh, choice. Well, so, that, that me, that? yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm moving away from that um, right now. So the Catholics, and, and really, I'm not sure that that's the objective of my um, presentation, although I will tell you how to talk about to Christians about it. But I want you to understand the depths with which these beliefs come and where they come from and why it's not all evil. And I think that's the first step. Seems, so, to, me uh, it's a, seems to me that it's an emotional thing. I've talked to lots and lots of uh, uh, self-proclaimed pro-lifers, and it's an emotional thing to get really worked up about the idea of mm. murdering babies. Uh, their idea of an abortion is a perfectly healthy fetus being killed literally the day before full term. Um, I mean, it's just astounding. There's they don't need education about what the Bible means. They need education about the facts of life, the situations of women. Um, I believe there was somebody that worked on creating and compiling stories of abortion and the situations that people got into. And uh, they, they really help illustrate the fact that women in difficult circumstances do not deserve the contempt and the hatred that the pro-lifers uh, put upon them. Uh, and the way that they style physicians who do abortions as evil monsters I've practiced OBGYN for more than 35 years, and I can tell you how tightly uh, the option of abortion is integrated into medical care. And it's just, just a disaster that we're not going to have that choice now. Women are going to die, not just from botched back alley abortions, but because physicians will be afraid to intervene and have to worry about being prosecuted for murder if they make appropriate medical decisions. That's, that's correct. And why... And the question is not what they need to know, because we're not really talking to them right now. The question is, what do we need to know? And so um, I just have want to talk about um, the value of life being sacred in the Christian religion. And so and that's the Catholic approach. Um, they also say that life is you can't kill because. That's God's power. But the sacredness of life is in the Genesis myth. And it's important to remember that at creation, everyone was a vegetarian. There were, you did not need to kill to survive. God says, I've given you every tree and seed and its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And he's given even all the beasts of the land, every green plant for food. We're vegetarians. God did not want to kill. In fact, um, it really isn't until the story of Cain and Abel when 
Cain kills his brother. And God doesn't kill him for doing that. God sends him away and, and he says, but everybody's, they're going to see me. I'm going to be a wanderer and they're going to kill me. And God says, no, I'm going to put a mark on you so that anybody who sees you would not kill you. And, and that mark, the terrible things have been spoken about, but that mark, it, at a minimum, it says, do not kill. So um, it wasn't until Noah when God authorized the eating of flesh and so of, of meat and also established the death penalty for killing another human being. And so, yeah, so here's here what we, what we see is that life is sacred because God also required a sacrifice. And that's very different from how we view life when we just pick up a piece of meat. All life is sacred. And that's why you had to make a sacrifice to recognize that life is sacred. Richard, I don't know how to like cut through all of that in order to be able to reach religious people to understand that, I mean, is it a losing, is it a basically a losing proposition here to be able to, to, to try to reason with religious people on, on their own territory? Um, because oh. I'm hearing a lot, of, a lot of stuff about the sanctity of life. And we, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's, that's the, I could, you know, I can, I get chapter and verse on that from pro-life people. But what I'm trying to understand is the value of women and, and the value of, uh, you know, because of the fact that the Bible uh, sanctions slavery. Um, where, where does it get, you know, where do we get away from that? Did Jesus get away from that? Did, did Jesus uh, say, look, you know, slavery is wrong and owning uh, another person's body is wrong? I, I'm not, I don't know enough about Jesus or his writings to even understand whether that's possible to, to have that type, type of discussion. Well, well, Jesus, I think, um, overturns this rule about the death penalty because he's there with an abuse of power um, when they kill him for advocating for a just society. Um, so the... And there is a part of the Bible, Exodus, that talks, the Bible doesn't really talk about abortion per se. There is a passage that says, if two men scuffle and deal blow to a pregnant woman and the child abort forth, then the man is fined. That's Exodus 21, 22 to 25, not charged with murder. Now, that doesn't match with our laws. Our laws, if you do that, you could be charged for that death. But in the ancient time, they were fine. Unless the woman was harmed, then it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand. Um, and it's imposed by, the fine is imposed by the husband or male judges because they're property. Women are considered property. So That's a really good point. So wait, so so you, you, you skipped over this a bit, but... You said something about um, that the, the, the whole uh, law about uh, the two men scuffling, that the woman, that the, 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 the child, the pregnant woman, uh, it's not, is not two different people. 
basically. Is, is Am I understanding that, what you're well, saying correctly? Well, she's kind of property. And although if she were killed, it would be just like murder and the death, the same penalty or injured, it would be the same penalty. Um, but sort of in a way, it's really more of the man's property than it is the woman being a separate individual. But the child, it's not a murder. You're not killing um, a human being. You're subject to a fine for that. Richard, can I possibly interrupt for just a minute on this exact okay. point? Thank you. Uh -huh. um, Christianity is divided into by three doctrines of ensoulment. Two of them are pre-Christian in authorship. The third one uh, authored by a Christian, St. Thomas Aquinas in the 1200s. Mm -hmm. The first two that are pre-Christian, one was by Pythagoras, who was a great mathematician in ancient times, but a few hundred years or so before Jesus was born, he decided to make his own religion, which is fine. That's what people do. Whether Moses, Muhammad, Saul, or Paul on the road to Damascus, or uh, Joseph Smith, I guess it was, is that the right name, in New York State for Mormonism. And 1,600 different religions all have an exclusive, unique grip on the truth and reality, okay? So it's all ideas. It's all mental. Now, the Pythagorean idea, one of the doctrines was its doctrine of ensoulment, was that there was a spirit of life in the product of conception. If you can't recognize and relate that to all the crap that's going around now for 30, 40 years, you're unaware, <laughs> Okay. The product of conception was just the pre-scientific language for a fertilized egg. All right. So that's the origin of life begins at conception. And for Pope Francis, uh, the fertilized egg is a one-cell baby and all the value that goes along with that. Yeah. Uh, the other pre-Christian version, which you cited in the book of Genesis, well, Genesis and Exodus, chapters 21 to 25, uh, thou shalt not kill. But that, when, when does that protected human life begin? That's ensoulment. When does it end? That's desoulment, theologically speaking. And uh, what's the nature? We only have to concern on this issue with the ensoulment. When does a new human life begin? And as you point out, the Bible story in Exodus chapters 21 to 25, uh, two endings to that story, when the woman gets hit, the pregnant woman gets hit by the blow. One of the guys wasn't even trying to hit her, but somehow she got struck. And down she goes, and in the first ending, she's killed. And then the next chapter begins, what happens to one of the men or both men? So the next chapter starts off life for life. So at least we know that a woman, uh, just like a man, a boy, or a girl, is indeed a human life, a human being, uh, which some people seem to doubt a little bit. The other ending of the story, she lives, but the fetus is killed. As you point out, the man has to pay either fine or damages for interfering with her reproductive interest, the assumption being she wanted to deliver a baby. So that's the stark opposite of the Pythagorean idea that even a fetus is not yet the life of a human being. Its potential is developing, but not there yet. The third version from Thomas Aquinas in 1200s, I think it was, is that life begins with quickening or the first movement. But there's even uncertainty about what he meant or what the translators meant. That might have been based on an ancient uh, Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible into ancient Greek, uh, which occurred around 197 BC, something like that. And uh, they made some mistakes in the translation, which you would expect. 
one of them was a mistranslation of the Hebrew word for breath, uh, for and they translated it as move or movement. So the question is ambiguous, any old movement or just the movement associated with breathing, which would mean chest movement, you know? So even that's a little uncertain. Yeah. A scientific and values-based approach uh, would be that when do you actually get a, what's the minimal uh, thing that you need to support the beginning of mentality? Just a little itty bitty. That's all it takes. Yeah. So I, you, I, yeah. Okay, go ahead. I need to get um, through because I'm already going over. I didn't really time this very well. So I want to move to 1963 with Betty Friedan's book, The Feminine Mystique, in which she identified the problem with no name, which was the idea that women were dissatisfied with their roles as homemakers, their talent was being wasted, they didn't have a, autonomy. And so, um, and also the idea that the personal is political, that, that their personal lives and the problems they were having, the problem without name was actually a political problem. And it's important to recognize that personal beliefs and values, you know, we want to say religions, people should not have their personal beliefs and values influence their political decisions. But that's like coming from outer space. There's no world in which our personal beliefs and values do not influence our political decisions. So there's no way we can go no politics with these people or in religion, no politics. In fact, when we separated the church and the state, we did not separate religion from politics. We only separated the institutions of the church and the state. Religion has been political all along. It's political now. It's going to be political in the state, uh, into the foreseeable future to restrict people from having their religious values influence their political beliefs would be against the First Amendment. Church and state, the church state is supposed to be benevolent towards the church. It's not supposed to take sides or choose one position over another. And it's only the state that is precluded from acting. Churches can do anything they want. It's only the tax code that prevents them from engaging in campaigning and then but on social issues the churches do and should have actions so religion is about philosophy theology ideology beliefs and values so even some spiritual people feel the same way and people of other religions feel the same way about abortion. Uh, the church should be gazed, engaged in social justice advocacy and there's a lot of things to help support the idea that women and lifting up the lowly, um, being concerned for the lives of women and girls and children and taking their interest in the heart are very important. And Jesus over and over, women would defeat him in debate. I don't think there's any denial that we need to also consider the interests of women and girls. So I wanna encourage everyone to get personal don't, don't try and say that religion cannot be coming to our political discussion. It's already there. It's going to be there. It's not going away. Tell your personal story. Um, listen 
to what other people have to say before you uh, tell them your appearance. Ask them questions. Find something to agree with. A lot of the stuff Dr. Tamarius told us again, because this is not just about freedom. It's about justice. It's about our community and how we treat other women. And then we have this attack on Christianity, Christian nationalism. It's ill-defined. And we don't want to, in short, we just don't want to make religion the enemies, Christian, Christians the enemy. It's not, we have this idea that somehow we get these ideas and they all bowl up and that's what creates our social opinion. No, that's not how it works. Propagandists know what our opinions are. They disseminate propaganda down that uses our already held positions to make us more extreme or or persuade us to their view. This is a top-down problem, not a bottom-up problem. So what do we do? We need to welcome Christians into our groups. We need to use Christian rhetoric, biblical rhetoric, religious, spiritual rhetoric. We don't want to be dismissive or abusive towards people who are on our side. We want to support them and bring them on. And don't worry, God is on our side. So I have a saying, they say, hate the sin, not the sinner. I say, hate the propaganda, not the people. Hate the propagandists who keep spreading lies, not the people who are lost sheep, as Jesus would say. Just like 